us. Wave across the room. Instead of saying hi, say Happy Easter. church today. Praise you, Heavenly Father. You call us out from the depths into your freedom. Our chains are gone. form shall prevail your word is stronger we overcome aren't you grateful this morning would you give them a shout this morning
praise you, Heavenly Father. Father, we have come to bow down in worship, lifting up our hearts, we bow down in praise. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship you. 
we worship you on this glorious day that we celebrate your life, your death, your resurrection. We thank you for your precious blood that you were willing to leave heaven, put aside your mighty power and glory to live like a man on this earth, provide redemption and salvation for us. For us to say the words, we worship you. For us to say the words, we thank you. Cannot express, O oh Lord, the gratitude in our hearts. We worship you. We thank you. Glory and honor to the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aren't we thankful for Jesus today? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, it's great to see everybody today. Praise the Lord. And this Resurrection Sunday. And, uh, you know, we were saying, talking about, uh, over the last several months, we have really realized how much our church family, you know, is not just the people that are in this room. We actually have people who have been in our church who moved to other parts of the country and there was no church there. Or there wasn't a church who taught the Bible, <laughs> who taught the word. And so we are their church. And so it's not just us in our room that's part of our church family, but we have really a church family that's all over the U.S. And we even have a brother that watches us every time we're on um, uh, live stream from Africa. I cannot uh, pronounce his name, but we correspond with him. And uh, so, you know, uh, thank God for the family of God. And um, these days it can be worldwide. So, with that, who's on the camera today? I can't see. Mr. Dean! <laughs> um, why don't you wave at the camera? Let's say hello to everybody watching at home and say a happy Easter to them. Happy Resurrection Day. We're thankful that you're joined us. Praise the Lord. Before you're seated, why don't you greet a few people around you and give them a warm welcome and God bless you. We're going to dismiss the children to their service at this time. Kids grade one through fifth grade are dismissed to their class. They can go to the back of the sanctuary. Miss Lauren is back there. If this is your first day worshiping with us, we are so glad that you're here. If you wouldn't mind uh, just lifting up your hand wherever you are so we can acknowledge you. There's some uh, someone back there. I can't see if it's a man or a lady, but I see a hand. Oh, there's a few hands. We're so glad that you're here. We want you to feel like family today. Praise the Lord as you worship with us. Amen. A uh, few praise reports we want to give you. Um, don't know who, uh, those of you who may know Curtis and Sandra. Right. I know, right. Why did I say that? I've known Cameron for years. Cameron and Sandra, thank you guys. She's the one, the littlest, tiniest girl in the church who was popped out to about here for the last few months. And they had their baby last week. And they're going to throw up a slide of Remington, Osk Williams. 
She was born April 1st at 10.29 a.m. And her, her mother, how tall is Sandra? Is she even five feet? Right. She gave birth to a nine-pound, eight-ounce girl. Yes. Well, Daddy is about... Oh, the burrito? Yeah. Oh, no. Subway sandwich. <laughs> she was 21 inches long. How tall is Cameron? 6'5"? Six, 6'7". Five? Six, seven. Six, seven. So, thank God she was only 9 pounds, 8 ounces. <laughs> um, also, we wanted... They're going to put a picture up here of a Jim Moore. He went home to be with the Lord. Uh, Jim probably... He's kind of a quiet guy, and if you knew him, you knew the depth of man and character that he was. It's a picture of him when he was younger, so I don't know if you recognize him necessarily, but he went home to be with the Lord a few weeks ago. Um, his um, memorial is going to be on Saturday, April 17th in Riverside at the home of his nephew. Call the church office, and we'll tell you where it is and give you information. I just wanted to honor Jim, though, today. Um, he's in heaven. And I just want to say about Jim, of course, when he was alive, we could never say anything like this. But he made it possible for many, many years for children and youth to go to camp. He paid the way for, for many children and youth to go to our youth camp and help sponsor them. And of course, you know, he's very quiet about it. Never would want anyone to know. But uh, he was such a blessing. And um, he was a, a godly man who loved the Lord. And um, so anyway, we, we will miss him, but we will, we will see him soon. Praise the Lord. Um, also, we had a couple of uh, great praise reports uh, this last week. Um, uh, one uh, father of a lady in our church, they thought he was going to have heart surgery. And uh, we prayed and agreed, and the doctor ended up saying that no heart surgery was needed on him. Yeah, there was another one similar to that, but I didn't write it down, and I don't remember what it was. So just kind of put it in the general praise report there. Um, then also, my family had a couple of really good praise reports. My dad fell, and he's here today. He fell last, what day was it? Uh, whatever day it was, Saturday, I think. Anyway, he was in the hospital for a few days. He didn't break anything, and he's sitting in the back, right back there by the bookstore, and so we're just so thankful. Praise the Lord. The angels of God protected him. And then my daughter, one morning on the way to go to do some things for my dad at his place at 6 a.m., she was uh, uh, hit by um, a car in the driver's side. And, yeah, they have pictures up there I wanted to show you. She walked away from it. No injuries. And the other man had no injuries. The EMTs and the firemen who came there, they said... They were just shocked that they didn't have to call an ambulance. And my husband, of course, daddy went down there right away and, and uh, was there within a few minutes. It was right by our house. And there, you, there were two light poles, you know, the steel ones. And somehow her car spun around and went between those two light poles and also missed one of those monument signs without smashing it or touching it. And he said it was like threading a needle. That, that it made it through there without touching it. So we just thank God. You know, we declare over our church family God's peace, 
God's protection and God's provision. And we believe it. And we have seen that in our church family. We have had, and we had another testimony this last week of a man in our church. He had contracted COVID. And, and um, so he, uh, he felt like he needed to go to the emergency room. He was there. They did something for him, pumped him with something. And he was back home the very next morning. And so we've had numerous of these testimonies. We don't give them all the time, but God has been faithful to our church family for his peace, his protection, and his provision for us. Amen. We declare his word. Hallelujah. Um, let's see here. Oh, and then ladies, um, Saturday this month, April 24th, we're going to have an outdoor spring boutique from 10 until 3 o'clock. And um, so it's shopping time for Mother's Day. Um, you can grab a coffee. You can grab uh, some baked goods from our kids. are going to have a bake sale there for camp. And um, come and join us. And um, it'll be outdoors on the side here and in the back. Praise the Lord. Um, then just as a reminder, uh, giving, I think everybody knows, you can uh, take an envelope and give as you leave the sanctuary today. The ushers are in the back. Um, or you can give, uh, you can text to give, the information's up there. You can give online at foothillfamily.com. What a blessing it is to be disciplined tither and giver. Hallelujah. What a blessing to give back to him. Amen. So Lord, we worship you today as we're here. We worship you not just with our mouths, Lord, but with the action of our lives, and we worship you, Lord, with our giving. We worship you with our tithes because you've been faithful to us. What an honor it is, O oh Lord, to serve you. What an honor it is, O oh Lord, to give to you. We thank you for each person who's here today. That by the Spirit of God, Lord, you touch their hearts and speak to them and minister to them as only the Holy Spirit can do. Thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Calvary's mountain One day they nailed him To die on a tree Suffering anguish Despised and rejected Bearing our sins My Redeemer is he The hands that heal nations Stretched out on a tree He took the nails for me stand please and while you're standing let's pray Father we bless your name we exalt you Lord Jesus as our king and our savior 
Father, we thank you for the great plan of redemption. We thank you that you have made us new. Thank you, Father, for your righteousness. Thank you for the direction of the Holy Spirit. Father, we commit our lives to you. We worship you. We praise you for your great mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he, talking about God, has made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Everything about the plan of redemption is about righteousness. Righteousness is the thing that Adam lost when he and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden tree. And Paul's revelation, as it is recorded in the New Testament, is really an astounding thing. One of the things that makes it so uh, astounding is because there weren't too many people identified in the, the New Testament that really understood what it was about. The Bible says, for example, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, after they've confessed that Jesus is the Christ, in response to a question, he asked them. Matthew 16, 21 tells us that from that time forward, Jesus began to plainly teach, not in parables, not in riddles, but plainly teach to them that he would be going to Jerusalem and suffering many things at the hands of the high priest, that he would be killed and raised again the third day. Clearly, they didn't take that to heart. Because on the day of his betrayal at the Last Supper that he instituted with the disciples, they were sorrowful because he had identified that he would be leaving. But none of them not one expressed any sign of understanding that this was the purpose for which Jesus came to the earth. On that last supper day that Jesus was betrayed, I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place... He said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, my, not my will, but thine be done. Matthew's account of this tells us that he prayed this three times. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. 
Folks, Jesus knew his purpose for coming to the earth. He knew his purpose was to live a, a sinless life and offer his blood for the redemption of mankind, to offer salvation by his works. But when it came to the time where he would lay down his life, he had said previously in his earthly ministry that no man could take his life from him, but he could lay it down willingly. It's the only way Jesus could be killed. He had to choose to lay it down willingly. But look at the agony that he's suffering. In this prayer that's described in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is struggling, not just in anticipation of the physical pain, which was severe, but Jesus knows that in order for him to pay the price for the sins of mankind, he has to be made sin. I think a lot of people read that scripture and they just assume that God somehow put it on him. Somehow or another, God just laid on him the iniquity of mankind like you put a cloak or a coat on your shoulders. But it was much more than that. It had to be. Because the measure of sin that Jesus becomes is the measure of righteousness that you and I can receive. See, we can't be made righteous just by Jesus having sin put on him like a coke. If we are to be made righteous, our nature changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. If that's a change of nature, which thank God it is, if that is putting on the new man, which the Bible says that it is, then Jesus had to be made sin. And that's the substitutionary work that Jesus knew that he was sent to the earth to perform. But he's recoiling from death, not just physical death. The Bible tells us that Jesus died physically, but he also died spiritually. That was necessary if you and I are going to receive the salvation that changes our nature. The agony that he suffered It took an angel to appear and strengthen him because it was so horrific. The price that he would have to pay, the, the price he did pay, thank God, was so horrific that he's recalling from laying down his life. And look at what he prayed. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Well, it was possible. Jesus could have simply refused. 
But there was only one way for Jesus to effect redemption and salvation for mankind. He committed his life to the Lord. He submitted his will to God's will. But the struggle that he is experiencing, the horror that he had to overcome in the Garden of Gethsemane goes beyond anything that we've ever imagined, much less experienced. Jesus comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane a conqueror. When Judas brings the Roman soldiers to apprehend Jesus and to arrest him, Jesus didn't meet him in meekness or in any type of humility that we might experience or, or assume. but he met them as a conqueror. He knew what was coming. He knew what was required of him. And he faces it, strengthened by the angel that came, completely committed to the will of God for his life. So he's taken to Pilate Pilate recognizes there's nothing in this man to warrant the penalty of death that the Pharisees were calling for. He's beaten savagely. And there's something about that beating that was supernatural. It wasn't a different form of punishment than other evil men have received. In fact, there are records where some people were killed during that beating and never made it to the crucifixion that was their sentence. But there was something about it that was supernatural. Not just the pain but the meaning. Isaiah 53, verse 1 says, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, this is the word pains, and acquainted with grief, this is the word sickness. So he was rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb to the slaughter, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, and for that transgression of the people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. In the original translation, in the, the Hebrew um, translation of this verse, death is plural, indicating that he died not only physically but spiritually. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Other translations say that can be translated, he has made him sick. That doesn't mean he put cancer on him on the cross. It means he put the source of cancer in every other disease, which is sin. He has made him to be sickness. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Folks, as awful and as terrible as the beating he took in Pilate's court and the pain that he experienced on the cross, it took more than that to pay for the sins of mankind. See, if it's just Jesus' physical death that was required, then as soon as he died on the cross, the spirit of life could have come back into him and he could have climbed down from the cross. Because if that was the way, if that was the requirement for the price for sin to be paid. But after Jesus died on the cross, he spent three days and nights in the heart of the belly of the earth. Why did he do that? Because the price for sin, the price for sickness and disease, and the price for lack, all of which came upon Adam in the Garden of Eden when he disobeyed God, that price was not just a physical price to pay. Let me read to you from Psalm 22. This, of course, is Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, and they trusted, and thou did deliver him. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake their heads, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him now, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from, my, from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. 
Many bulls have compassed me, the strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. This is talking about the Pharisees. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon thy vesture. Now even though the term crucifixion isn't mentioned in this psalm, you can clearly see that it refers to some of the very things that happened when Jesus was on the cross. His hands and his feet were nailed. The Roman soldier took a spear and pierced his side and water mingled with blood flowed out just like it said in Psalm 22. But folks, here's something we may not be aware of. This psalm was written 250 years before the method of death or crucifixion was ever invented. I don't know if, you, if invented is the right word to use for that. But this is 250 years before the Romans ever started crucifying people. So Jesus died physically. But then what happened? The Bible tells us that Jesus went to hell. Now in those days, there were two compartments in hell. One called Sheol and another called Hades. One of these places is also referred to as Abraham's bosom. The place where the Old Testament saints went awaiting for the Messiah to open the door of heaven to them so they could enter into their eternal glory. But the other place, the lowest place, the lowest pit, was reserved for those who died without faith in the Messiah. It was the place of the unrighteous dead. Righteousness was imputed or counted for the Old Testament saints in Abraham's bosom. But Jesus went to the lowest place. Some people consider this to be controversial. I'm not sure exactly how that could be or why that is esteemed that in the eyes of some. Because if Jesus paid the price for you and me to be saved, to receive a new nature, a righteous nature, then he had to go to the place where you and I would have gone without him. Because Jesus was above all else a substitute for us. Psalm 88 tells us a little bit about what Jesus experienced. 
in this lower place of hell. Verse 1, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. Now folks, I want to read to you from some other translations of this, some of these verses. My soul is full of trouble, overwhelmed with evils. My soul has arrived at Sheol, the kingdom of death. I am become a man without God. The sixth verse says, In the lowest pit, the pit of the dense darkness, thou dost lay thy wrath fully upon me. All thy breakers hast thou poured upon me. Thou hast let all thy waves strike upon me. Thou hast let all thy, become all thy breakers upon me. I am wasted away. I am distracted and brought low. I have borne thy terrors so that I am distracted. Thy streams of wrath have cut me off, destroyed me. This gives us a picture of what Jesus suffered in the heart of the earth for those three days and nights after his body died physically. It seems that Jesus was paying a price in this lower pit of hell. A price that included all of God's wrath being poured out upon him. It keeps talking about the waves and the breakers. Wave after wave of God's wrath was poured out upon him. Now folks, the, the other people in hell, as far as any description that the Bible gives of it, suffer torment. But there's no other place mentioned in Scripture where hell is described in this manner or the people in hell experiencing wave after wave after wave of God's wrath. 
that Jesus identifies through these scriptures that he's suffering the wrath of God day after day after day for three full days and three full nights. He's consumed and overwhelmed with the evil of mankind that he has been made. This is what I believe Jesus is recalling from in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus died quicker than the two thieves that were at his side. Which means that they experienced a physical agony that went on longer than Jesus did. Because it wasn't just a physical price to be paid. But instead it was spiritual death that came upon Jesus and overtook him. Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. This is a poor translation because it really says he was raised again when we were justified. Indicating that it didn't last one second longer than it was necessary for the sin of mankind to be born. But folks, here's something I think it would do us well to consider. There came a moment in time when the price had been paid. But then what? There came a point which was necessary, no longer necessary, for the wrath of God to be poured out upon Jesus. But he's still spiritually dead. He's been separated by the plan of God from the life of God that he in, uh, enjoyed for the 33 and a half years that he was here on the earth. So how does he escape? Folks, one thing that we need to understand that I think will make a lot of difference in our experiencing the blessings of God here on the earth is that Jesus had to be born again. The only way you can pass from spiritual death into life is to be born again. Colossians 1.18 speaks of this. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, his son, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. If Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, if Jesus was the first that was born again, 
snatched from death, spiritual death, and ushered into eternal life. We don't have a born-again experience that's like him. We have a born-again experience that is the same as him. See, you're just as born again as Jesus was. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to all the saints... I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding or your spirit being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. It's saying that you have the same born again experience that Jesus has. The same greatness, the exceeding greatness of his power that raised Jesus from the dead, that caused him to be born again, the firstborn among many brethren. That's the same power that raised you from the dead too. You remember after when Jesus was raised again from the dead, the Bible says that he led captivity captive. In other words, he took those Old Testament saints with him to heaven. But first he stopped by the earth to pick up his body. And the Bible says that Mary was there. And Mary was approached by Jesus and when he spoke to her, she recognized who he was and started to fall down at his feet to worship him. But he stopped her. He said, don't touch me because I have not yet gone to my father and to your father, my God and your God. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 what Jesus did after he picked up his body and went to heaven. Verse 12, it says, neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood, he entered, into one, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who has through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Apparently there's a temple in heaven that the temple on the earth was built or provided the pattern for how the one the temple on the earth was built. And Jesus went into those heavenly holy of holies and offered his blood as the eternal sacrifice, the eternal prize for the redemption of mankind. And then Jesus returns to the earth. Just as much as he, as he was the conqueror of sin and death, 
when he came out of the Garden of Gethsemane, when he appears to his disciples and says, all hail. I can just imagine the joy that the Bible says was the reason that Jesus continued on with the plan of God. For the joy that was set before him, he became obedient to death, enduring the shame of the cross. When he appears unto his disciples, who should have been looking for his resurrection, according to what he plainly taught them. But they weren't. They had let the importance of the truth of those things slip by. But he appears unto them again as conqueror. He says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. You take care of things here on the earth, I'll take care of things in heaven. For God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now let me show you also Romans chapter 5, verse 17. In context, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Folks, righteousness is intended to be a weapon. Righteousness is intended to be a spiritual force that assures our victory over sin, sickness, and poverty. Righteousness is not just one of those pretty words where we can look at and say, well, we're righteous, which means God loves us. The Bible says God loves everybody, sin, sin, uh, sinner and saint included. No, righteousness is a spiritual condition, a position with God that is intended to provide us victory in every area of our lives. Righteousness is a legal standing with God. And righteousness when understood. For example, we can see from verse 17 in Romans 5 that it's not just a matter of being saved that provides victory for anybody or everybody. We've seen places and seen people that exhibit a much greater power to overcome the things of the devil than with others. Other Christians, I mean. It's not just making Jesus the Lord of your life that gives you victory. There's a measure of victory, certainly, that provides us entrance into heaven when we die. But righteousness is intended to provide us victory here on the earth before we die. Let me read Romans 5, 17 again. For if by one man's offense, talking about Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. The Amplified says shall reign in this life by one Jesus Christ. The devil has no standing to do anything against you and I that will prosper. Thank you, Lord. 
Doesn't mean he doesn't have a right to attack us. But the Bible says, Isaiah said, no weapons formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against us in judgment, we shall condemn. This is the heritage of the children of God and our righteousness is of him. So the devil has a right to, t to bring sickness against us. He has a right to bring uh, lack or poverty against us. But none, no weapon, according to the scripture, no weapon that he forms against us, no matter how long it seems to dominate us, no matter what the conditions are surrounding that attack, no weapon shall form, formed against us shall prosper if we know who we are in him, if we know the righteousness that we've been made by the precious blood of Jesus, we can and should overcome every evil work that comes against us. Now typically what happens, I think, is the devil forms weapons against us and somebody might take a position of rebuking it or exercising authority over it. But they don't get the results in either the way or the time that they thought they would. And in most cases, people give up after that. But if what Jesus told us is true, then us assuming the rights and privileges that are afforded to us because we have been made righteous by Jesus' blood. We can beat back and overcome and defeat every attack, no matter how severe, no matter how long-lasting. We can, as Jesus said, have what we say. Mark 11, verse 23, Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, in other words, shall not speak against the word, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, you will eventually have what you say. It may not come as quickly as we want it to. It may not come in the manner that we expected. But if we will simply choose to speak the word of God from our hearts because we know it's God's word and refuse to speak against God's word, we will have what we say. So I say that we're righteous. I say we're healed. I say we're walking in abundance. I say the peace of God is ours. No matter what it looks like. But because God's word is true. For if by one man's offense, Adam's sin caused death to reign by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. One of the things that Jesus said at that last supper, he changed the Passover meal to one that focuses on him as our substitute. You may remember that he said to the disciples when they sat down to the Passover feast that he had long looked forward to sharing this last supper with them. He instituted what we know of as the Lord's Supper and not just the Passover. He told them that the elements the bread and the wine for the salvation of mankind. We are to receive these elements. Lord, please, so we could wait on the people.
Paul, in writing to the church, recognizing the importance of the Lord's Supper, said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Father, we receive this bread as of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he took our sickness and he bore our pains and that by his stripes we are healed. Let's receive the bread. After the same manner, he also took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily or in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. 
Father, we take this cup, which represents the blood of Jesus that redeemed us, that brought us unto eternal life and salvation. We thank you, Father, that we are purged from sin, every sin, by the precious blood of Jesus. Let's receive the cup. Hallelujah. Let's all stand, please. And let's lift our hands and just thank God for bringing us into his family. Lord Jesus, thank you for conquering sin and death. Thank you for loving us enough to keeping yourself on God's plan for redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all the goodness of God that you've opened us up to through your sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for the blessed Holy Spirit that indwells us. He leads us and guides us. He brings us into the law of love. We bless you, Holy Father. Thank you that we have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the victory that righteousness gives to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, folks, have a great Easter. In whatever you do or however you do it, let us never lose sight of the great price that Jesus paid for us to have what we so often take for granted. We love you.